excited for another week of the Midnight Founders podcast. Yep. We had another great conversation this week with Jeremy and Jen Brockbank from Volcanic Retail. They have had an interesting, to say the least, path of entrepreneurship, had a bunch of great stories, have done it together the whole way. So it was, it was cool to see the perspective of the husband and wife duo that have been involved in multiple businesses together. But I would say that the best story of the day, the one that I'm excited for you guys to listen to, is how they built up the cardboard toilet store. <laughs> Who knew that, that was even a thing? And they talked about it for a while. It was yeah. great. Let's go. All right. Well, we're excited to be here with Jeremy and Jen Brockbank. Welcome. Uh, Welcome they've got a lot of you. fun things going on. We're excited to hear about what kind of got you to this path and and what got you started and then what you're doing right now, because I know we've got a a new idea that you started a couple years ago and it's growing really quickly. So I'm excited to hear more about that and and share that story with the listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. This is exciting. Yeah. Hope and we don't blow it. No, you're gonna do great. <laughs> you're gonna do great. And and we're excited for a big announcement here soon, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Baby number seven. So, yes. yes. Congratulations. So exciting. Three girls, four boys. Yeah. Oh my Pretty exciting for us. Congrats. We call Thank it second you. shift in our house. Yeah. <laughs> go home from, from work and go home to more work. Yeah. Well, we always joke because we had two of our sons and then we had a big break and then more children. But during that break it was our first business baby. So I don't feel like we ever took any breaks. I just feel like we went from babies to business baby to babies to another business baby and then a few more after that. So yep. Well, now you're great. comboing baby and business baby. That's yeah, right. twins. You have twins. We're getting I, cocky. I, that's true. Yeah. And I did that. Or, or was that the last baby that I had was, was when Volcanic truly launched. So, How least, big of a gap did you have between... Oh, I mean, it's not oh, that big. We're in Utah, right? It's, it's three like and a half years. Three and oh, a half years. It's big <laughs> for the rest of our kids. It was big. Yeah, it was big for... It was important to take that So Jeremy that and Jen break, say, but it truly wasn't a break at oh all my because goodness, we had I love it. it in. Yep. Yeah. So you're saying what I'm hearing is if building a business is not hard enough, we're going to have a baby in between that too. Yeah, right? yeah I, I think there's that Jim Gaffigan... Oh, I was just going to say that too. ...line of like, what is it like to have... Three children. He said, "Well, imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby." And it's like, "Oh, that's definitely true." Yeah, maybe, maybe when you're starting a business and you have babies, maybe somebody's also like punching you in the gut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, with no sleep. Yeah, see how oh talent, talented you can get. Yeah. So, how did this whole thing get started? Uh, I'm interested in your background. Like, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur from growing up? Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Uh, you know. Um, no, not really. I, I did uh, my undergrad and, and, and did business and like entrepreneurship was kind of like, uh, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the word. I almost felt like it was almost kind of like, I, I envisioned like charlatans and, hmm. you know, I was just like, I, I don't know about these guys that are taking entrepreneurship. Which it's almost hard enough to be- say, right? Yeah. Or spell. I, I, yeah. Or spell. It was, yeah, it's for sure. It's funny though, too, because you do come from a line of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Your dad was an entrepreneur and his dad was an entrepreneur. So yeah. it's interesting yeah, my, you'd have that. My dad was the, started a, a, a mining and explosive company. Um, he died 30 years earlier. So it was, oh, wow. so, you know, I never got to really know him. I was just young, but. But yeah, I guess I did. But as far as like my growing up, I never was around a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, so I just, I wanted to go into to business. Actually, we ended up um, going to grad school to um, become an athletic director. So 
uh, we went and worked out for, we were working for the Oklahoma Sooners, um, their basketball and football and stuff. And um, Were those your sports? Um, I don't know if anything's really my sport. I'm not overly talented. <laughs> football, he loves football. Yeah. Football. His okay. family was all basketball and he was oh, the okay. one football. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, it was good. And, you know, I, I always envisioned just continuing on in athletics, eventually being athletic director. And um, we just kind of eventually what happened was um, th- they had this big old financial collapse of 08, and all the universities went on a hiring freeze. Mm. And so we're like, we just got to get a job. <laughs> so I don't, you know, so much for dreams. <laughs> and honestly, how I got into retail was it's just – there just happens to be this company. It's, it, it almost sounds fake, but it's it's real. What it was is we sold cardboard toilets, <laughs> and uh, that was my first job into retail. And where, where was that? I have it was it was a startup company. Um, it was here in Utah, where preppers are big, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cardboard and, toilets. Wow. Yeah, yeah it I, was. It I was. think God provided that opportunity for us to keep us humble. Like, oh yeah, okay, that was terrible. <laughs> you are gonna start out below the lowest. <laughs> like, but it was it was good. That's I basically just didn't have. I just knew I got to get on the phones and and call outdoor shops and stuff and try to get rolling and. Um, can, can I ask who would buy a cardboard? I mean, I'm trying to understand how, <laughs> like, I, I, now you know how hard my job was. my head around this cardboard yeah. toilet. Yeah. How you does... and everyone else. Um, but yeah, just, you know, we, we sold some products to like FEMA and stuff. Um, but there was, yeah, it was, it was tough sledding for a long time. I will never forget. I went to church and a lady was asking me what my husband does. And I told him and she or I told her and she said, dear (laughs) and to me I had grown up internationally so like to me that was a good thing like it it was something that I could understand why it was an important thing you know growing up in third world countries and things like that seeing poverty and and you know disease because of things that could be preventable but anyway so to me it was way over my head that it was something I should be like embarrassed about and yeah. I, I think it's, you know, no it's shame. a good part of the story. I think that makes us who we are. Like, it's just that, you know, it's important to have those little moments where people kind of pat you on the head. It, was, it, was <laughs> definitely, it makes you fight harder, right? It makes that's a you great like, topic at dinner parties. I, I can't yeah. even imagine like a billboard campaign along the freeway. We do cardboard toilets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. I remember, I mean, it felt like, I mean, the company was underfunded. Everything about it was set up to fail. And um, yeah, you probably well, didn't know that yet. Right? Up for work yeah, I, was, I, I, yeah, I got, were, I got hired, and I just realized that I was the only one showing up for work like every day. And, and he was like desperate. It was our first kid was on the way. He had to make yeah. this company work. There were no jobs like 2008, no jobs ever for you know yeah, nobody was, was hiring. And so he was like bound and determined to make this company. I, I remember go. <laughs> I remember every morning waking up, and I'd have to almost put like hard. You probably don't know this. I put like hard rock music on to go to work to pump yeah. yourself up. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm good. I got to get all the energy I can get to sell this product. It's like in the Jim and Dwight scenario yeah, in the office. It was. Right? It was very similar to Dwight. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So that I mean, obviously, we went on to to build a lot of other companies, but that's kind of how it's you know it all began. It's interesting because a lot of the people that we talk to, I mean, this is this is becoming a common theme that a lot of entrepreneurs got their start in sales. Yeah, I'm sure because it is. you have to be able to do that side of it. Yeah, 
uh, in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, because you have to build a team, you have to convince other people to jump into your crazy idea. It's like that, that, uh, thing they show that meme with the one person dancing on the hill. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's like 20 people dancing on the hill. Like that's the entrepreneur, right? They have to convince people to join their, I'm telling you, it is kind of true. I mean, a lot of it, I think also comes out of just a little bit of, to be quite frank, a little bit of ignorance, like Mm -hmm. thinking, you don't think when you're starting a tech company, you don't really think, Hey, I can't, you know, there's certain things that are going to be over my head. You just kind of, if you're dumb enough, you just start it. And then you're like, well, I, I guess I got to keep going. People are putting money into this. Which, or, thank goodness, or, we have those moments, right? Or when, oh, yeah. you, when you start your family, same thing. It's oh, yeah. like, yeah, you got to be a little bit ignorant. Otherwise, I don't think people would have kids. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so wish us luck on the 7th. Well, congrats. Yeah. Great. So, I mean, but you kind of you, you, you kind of learn. If you're kind of forced to learn, you don't. I think the one good thing growing up is I didn't really have a safety net. I was the youngest of 11 kids. And so we didn't have a safety net. We didn't have people to kind of bail us out. So it was all kind of like, well, better figure this one out, <laughs> you know. And it kind of, and it, it's, I think it's really helped in entrepreneurship and yeah. building the businesses that we have. Yeah. His mom was too busy to kind of like baby him at all. He was, that's our joke is he was raised by wolves. It's not true. Of course, his mother did so much, but not as much as maybe you so just kind of, yeah, you yeah, you're felt kind things of out. on your own. Like if you are getting a C, there's no one there to like kind of, Hey, where, where's your yeah. C grade and, or lower or whatever, you know, like yeah. you just are on your own making it or failing. So yeah. We only have three kids thing. and I feel like my, my kids are raised by wolves. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. No, that's true. Who doesn't? That's would incredible. you, would you say that, um, Jeremy and Jen, that maybe some of those early failures or the, that only failure, which I'm assuming it failed. I don't know about oh, lots there's of failures, a lot right? of failures. Lots of failures. Would you say you've learned more from those than, you know, than your successes? Like that, how does that play into it? I don't think so. I think it's just kind of a accumulation of everything. We've had some, some big wins too. Um, but I think you just kind of take a little bit of part of, of some of the more important things that kind of pop out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you try to, not make the same mistake twice. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. And I I think you kind of come to points in in our journey, especially like we came to points where we had to decide like, okay, we're doubling down on ourselves, you know, like we have to, we have to pivot a little. We have to like learn from this mistake, but we are going to keep going. So that kind of frugal mentality is, I think it helped particularly our, our, um, our last business, our anthill business, um, where we just knew like, we're not going to go, you know, we didn't, we didn't really, we just didn't know how to go into debt. Right. I mean, it was just something we just like, we, we can't do this. And so it's put a lot of extra pressure on us, but it's, you know, to, to always hit positive numbers, um, every, you know, every month. And I remember this conversation I had <laughs> with, um, he was a, he was a VP of Vivint and he was, he, he, he did, you know, all these, a lot of different advice for, and consulting for uh, CEOs in the tech industry. And he came and looked at our numbers. He's like, well, I can tell you this, nobody else in, in the County is pulling down these numbers. We had, we had 110 straight months of net profit and it's because wow. it was just, I guess I didn't know that you're supposed to like have like losses, you know, it's okay to have a loss for a month. It's not a thing for Jeremy, right? No, well, I just, I just, <laughs> I think I had been, um, just kind of swimming for a long time. Like just, mm-hmm. I got to make this work. I got to make this work that it just, it was, it was, 
automatically on nonstop. Like, I mean, we had, because of the, the failures that we had, um, we were kind of forced into making things work. Uh, I just, there's definitely probably seven or eight years where work started at 4 a.m. in my home office and it was just, we're going to call Europe, get on, you know, get on the phone and then it was the U.S. timetable and then we yep. called and it. Just but, I, but I don't think days. it was like intentional. Oh, I'm going to wake up at no, 4 a.m. It was it not. Was, it was, Jeremy was blessed and was cursed anxiety. with anxiety yeah. and, and luckily it helped him a lot like just feeling yeah. all that pressure but i actually right have way. a correction it was novell the vp one of the vps of novell wasn't it well it's, it's i'm sure the, i think that's in his in, bio yeah but, but you called VP it vivant well, he was what. a vp of vivant too oh yeah. i'm learning there we go so you mentioned anthill was one of your more recent yeah. companies what what what's that company and what do you do after um we, we did this toilet business and um, <laughs> I worked, will always remember that worked for way. some other companies. We, we went to another company um, that, that did uh, portable solar uh, and that did really well. We, we um, became the, the fastest growing retail brand on Link 5000. Um, so my goal was to put them into big box stores like Target, Lowe's, Office Depot, all those type of stores. And, um, then we worked for a couple other ones, some some Shark Tank stuff. Mark Cuban Shark Tank Company worked with a little bit with Lori Grenier. Um, and then we started Ant Hill. And Ant Hill is basically we're a consulting firm where we um, we help this build the sales for all the different retail brands and the different channels. So our big thing, I guess, that we tell people, which you know, when you when you say stats, you're kind of really careful about the stats you say because you don't really know everything else out in the world, you know, you just kind of know what you have, but we believe it's the largest retail buyer database and brand database in the, in the world. So we built, I don't a little over 500 brands. So we put them into all the different stores and we have a, you know, database and reports and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's the one that we have now. It's, it's, uh, it's been pivoting to, uh, uh, does a lot of consulting now, um, helping brands with more than just the sales side. And with Volcanic, which is our kind of this this big thing that we're we're doing right now, it's more of like it's it's a SaaS platform. It's you know we're we're gonna give you all the tools to run your own sales and everything else. We're gonna let you connect. Everything can be done one click. It's is basically it looks like it's a response to you know COVID shutting everything down on the trade show side. But really, it's something that we've been preparing for probably three or four years prior to COVID. Um, we just thought that like the retail shows and the trade shows were not efficient. No matter what brand we built, the, it was a universal response that, oh my gosh, I just spent $35,000 or $100,000 or whatever it was. And we're just noticing that the big buyers just aren't here. They're just, you know, there's a lot of other people here and a lot of booths. But it's not, I mean, we, we don't know how else to do it. So that's kind of how Volcanics was. You know, so I think that. you probably need cool. to, I think you need to take a step back. Because, yeah. I mean, when you first started talking to me about it, I was like, I had no idea what you yeah. were even talking about. Yeah. But like, so brands, like companies have yeah. buyers yeah. that are out purchasing retailers. products. Mm -hmm. Like, so retailers have buyers that are out purchasing products yeah. for 
from these brands. Sometimes right. teams of buyers. I mean, they've got. Some oh, yeah. Teams, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. So sure. tell us a little bit about how that side of the industry works. Yeah, for sure. So if you're going to, if you wanted to go sell to a retail store, um, I mean, I guess, I, I guess the, the analogy that everybody understands, I guess would be shark tank, right? So somebody comes up with and creates some cool product and they feel like it's pretty revolutionary. And this is actually really typical in entrepreneurship where somebody will, will, you know, create like something through Indiegogo or Kickstarter and they're super jacked about it. They get a bunch of pre-orders that fund the manufacturing of it and they come out of the, 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 the shed and they're like, okay, now, now what? And they realize, I don't know how to get my products into retail stores. I don't know who the buyers are. I don't know who all the chains are. I don't know how they do business. And it's kind of a rude awakening for a lot of people. And the difficulty thing with all these brands is they have, I mean, it's just a really short uh, amount of time where they have to be up and rolling fast. Like they can't, they can't make mistakes over and over again, or they're just going to bankrupt themselves. And so, um, well, and they're very guarded too. They're very hard to get to. The yeah. Buyers. Well, yeah. So the buyers, yeah, they shield yeah. those people. So, yeah. like, I remember. Just a quick story. I used to manage the Costco account for a company I used to work for. We went up to Issaquah to their buyer day. Oh, yeah. They made a buyer day. Have you oh, heard yeah. of this? So oh, Jim yeah. Siegel gets up on the stage, you know, the CEO of Costco, dollar, uh, hot dogs and drinks will never be more than $1.50. And everyone cheers. It's like a rock concert, right? <laughs> it was so crazy. Yeah. And then he says, okay, is everybody ready? And I didn't know what was going on. It was my first time because all the, the – um, the vendors are there in this, you know, this yeah. this That's venue right. hall. It's a tent actually outside of their their building because it's so big. Yeah. He's like, "Are you guys ready?" And there's this drum roll, and there's lights that's going on, and then there's big music. And he says, "Here come the buyers!" And the doors open, and down these red carpets, like three aisles of buyers, yeah, and, and people shopping, just swarmed, right? you know. And yeah. it's yeah, you're exactly right. It's a very hard industry to break into. Yeah, they're, it, they're there to like pick and choose which items are going to be on the shelves in Costco, right? So like it's a and they can't make mistakes like deal. you said. They no, yeah. So the, the misconception is that the, the, the retail store buyers just have, uh, you know, they're just shopping, you know, and it could be further from the truth. They're t- well. First off, a very small percentage of a retail store actually turns over every year. So if you're like a Walgreens, I mean, you've got ninety five percent of the store that's, you know, you're just never going to break into. It's you know the Dove or it's you know, Pert Plus or whatever it is, right? That's always just going to be on the shelf. And you're fighting for the last 5% of the store space. So it's, it's a very small amount. What you don't realize is on the other side of that, uh, of the curtain, is you're competing with 1,500 other brands. And so you don't really have that idea when you start a business. You're like, yeah, you know, Walgreens will love this product. And, you have, and, and you're realizing, oh my gosh, some of the people that I'm competing against are the real deal. You know, they built some of these major companies that are already in there. They know they have the relationships of everything else. That's so, funny. yeah. So really it's with, with retail buyers, if you're going to get a product into a store, like if I'm going to go sell something into REI or Target or HEB or something, what they're doing is the buyers, the, the, the majority of their job is not buying products. It's being a category manager. So it's basically... They're monitoring their current stock levels, what products, what SKUs are not performing, which ones they need to remove out to bring in their analyst. I mean, it's 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 basically they can't have empty shelves, and they need the, the best producers. So 
going in there with a really nice fluffy sales pitch of, hey, this is really cool. Take a shot on us. The bigger the chain, the less that would ever work. It's, it's, a, it's a very analytical discussion. And so um, what we're trying to do is trying to, 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 get, to break these brands out of the noise. Um, we're trying to show them a lot of other opportunities of other stores they can get into on more of like a regional or a smaller basis or different distributors um, so they can prove their sales numbers so we can start approaching some of the major retail stores. Um, to add to the complication of the whole process of trying to get your product into retail, there's multiple buyers within, like they are only over a four foot by four foot space yeah, most that, of the time. That's so insane. Yeah. Wow. So, it's a small little planogram. And you're, you're literally trying to go for that one skew that they are going to slot in as a trial um, maybe two SKUs. It's not a big number. So yeah. that 5% of a store is literally like you have maybe a toothpaste or something and there may be one slot in for you to be out of all those 1800. Yeah. And if you're like a chapstick or something, uh, or, you know, lip balm, there's multiple places in the store that you could be placed. So there's multiple buyers that you're going to be pitching to. It's not just a, oh, you're in the store, we'll pitch you wherever we want. Yeah. You are now pitching an analytical sale to all these different buyers who may or may not have a slot for you, you know, that they would even be willing to try. But they definitely, um, I mean, it's it comes down to numbers. It's very nitty gritty. It's very like, yeah, and there's, I mean, it's hard. I think the difficulty, I think, on the brand, on the brand side is that you don't know who the buyers are. Um, they don't tell you who the buyer are. They don't tell you the, the, the you know the, the email format on how to email them or anything else. Um, be, and there's a reason why they don't is because and this is, I mean even back in the Kmart days, they would have buyers who would there's almost like a little bit of nepotism going on. They stick in their categories for a really long amount of time, and, um, and what would happen is. It was very tempting industry-wide for people just to buy from their friends. They're like, hey, I know Billy. He's always going to be the outdoor buyer, and he's been in there forever. And, and what happened is a lot of different competitors um, began to sink. And so um, and really some of the main – a lot of the new competition that we have now is they just they, – they had this really quick buyer turnover so that they'd bring fresh ideas on it. So it wasn't all about, it wasn't about relationships. It was about, the, you know, the numbers. Um, so that's, that's kind of, it just give you a little bit inside of the buyers. So now what's happened, I think, on the trade show side is, or at least over the last 15 years, is buyers aren't sourcing through trade shows anymore. Um, a lot of them typically source through platforms, social platforms. Like they'll go to Pinterest or they'll go to Instagram They'll go to YouTube and they'll be like, hey, that's a cool Instagram. They've got a huge amount of followers. It looks like a cool brand. I'm going to reach out to these guys only, right? Or, you know, th these guys have some really cool viral videos, I, you know, really cool education-based education, education -based YouTube videos. And I, you know, I'm going to, you know, I have some interest in there. Otherwise, they'll go to a trade show. And if you're like a Costco buyer, I've, I've dealt with plenty of them. Um, Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> or bless you. I they're they're tough. They're they're yeah, tough. They're, they're notoriously tough, but they're 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 extremely smart. They are. Um, they run a really good business. But I think that that what's interesting about these these buyers is they might go to a trade show, um, and they'll go there for the first 
two or three hours of a show. They'll meet with the five brands they want to meet with. And then they take the plane right back out and they're, they're gone. And so if you're not one of those four or five companies that's expecting to, to you know, say you're the big buyer that you're hoping for and you're kind of left with a bunch of mom and pops and bloggers and everything else, it gets a little frustrating. So, but what, what the problem is, is those social platforms like Instagram and, and whatever, they're, they're not built for B2B business. So um, this is really where the big opportunity for Volcanic came from is, is you're like, well, yeah, I, I see this new cool brand that's trending on Kickstarter or, or on Instagram, but you have no idea all the B2B information if they're going to be a good business, right? So you don't know, you know, where do they source their products and, and you know, who, who's their CEO? And it doesn't tell you this type of stuff on, the, on the, their, their Instagram platform. What are, was their shipping terms? What are their, was their buyback policy? You know, who, what other buyers have, have vetted them and, and who have they sold to successfully? And so it's just like they're trying to piecemeal something because they know that it's more effect, efficient than trade shows. But the problem is it's still highly inefficient. So we wanted to create a platform which was a two-way communication platform where everything that you could see typically from the buyer side, from a brand side, anything that you typically would email something off to a buyer, like, hey, look, we have this discounted product or we're just coming out with this new SKU. Everything's hosted on your own uh, social media site. And then a buyer is allowed to accept or reject, you know, the conversations. There, there's a lot of predictive analytics and, and uh, AI technology and all that other stuff behind it. But basically, we're trying to level the playing field and make it a lot easier for brands and buyers to get uh, in touch with each other and also to see the whole history and vet each other really quickly. So you're solving all those problems you just yeah. mentioned. Mm -hmm. Creating cool. a lot of transparency on both sides, making it easier to be efficient and consolidate all the buyers to-do lists and you know just creating a really <clears throat> easy platform for the buyers to like make their workload less and make it easier so they're not having redundant conversations and you know trying to figure out where they're picking up especially since the buyers are moving categories so often you know like jeremy mentioned moving every 18 months and and where the the cycle to get your product actually into a retail store maybe nine months or longer, I mean, you you could get all the way to the end of a, um, yeah. a pitch, you know, and the whole cycle of getting your product to get a yes and a PO, and then they could be transferred to the Starting different over. category, and yeah. you have a new buyer to start over from That's zero with. It's a lot of money. And then one thing you, you have, or it's a lot of time and frustration there. But one thing you didn't mention was the cost of trade shows is outrageous. So if you're not getting opportunity to present to those buyers and you don't have an opportunity to email them because it's so there's so many gatekeepers and so many I mean they've kept it pretty hard to reach them um, then you really are so I mean I, I think the desperation of people that are spending so much money at a trade show must be huge I know that a lot of the brands that we've helped through our oh. other company Ant Hill have have spent so much money and not gotten anywhere near what they needed to make it a reasonable, you know, it's all trying to, I think, exchange. So, so for that alone, that is going to eliminate so many problems for buyers and brands to just be able to communicate transparently, effectively, quickly, and get to the point of like, you know, especially on the shorter time frame where they may be transferred or whatever. I think it's all trying to, uh, you know, pick up losses, I think, where, you know, from, from Amazon. 
Amazon's kind of really squished everybody else's margins while they're squishing their own. Yeah. And there's they, the retailers and brands need a way to become more efficient so they can pick up those margins back up again. Um, and that's really kind of you know, what we're, tr- we're trying to aim to do. One thing that's kind of fascinating is we're talking about this, that uh, just uh, right back, back my memory is a lot of the brands that we deal with, it's amazing. This Everything's throughout the world is just becoming, um, it's been, it's, it's all consolidated. Like it's, it's, I would say, and acquisitions well, or? I'm just, just that the world in general is just becoming a lot smaller. Um, like when you deal with a company that, that just created a product or a brand, like even with volcanic and we probably have 30% of the companies on board, they're international brands and they just, you know, they, they realize that, Hey, we, you know, we, we're, we're in a relatively small country. There's only like, if, if, I, if I'm going to sell a product and I'm, I'm, I'm in Australia, right. And I'm in a, I'm, I'm, I'm a grocery product. Um, I can only sell to like a Woolworths or a Coles. And if I don't sell to those two, then basically I'm, I'm left to, you know, being a direct consumer product, or if it's hardware, I can go sell to Martyr 10. But if, if you're in the United States, the United States has 350 regional or national chains. So your chances of success in the U.S. are huge. So um, we, you know, we as long as you can kind of put your lines out in a lot of water and um, build those different relationships simultaneously, your chances of success, success are a lot higher. But it's, you know, I think what we're noticing is, is you know, a lot of international brands are trying to enter the U.S. market more so now than ever, especially after COVID-19. A lot of their countries, you know, are shut down longer they're a little more paralyzed some of them haven't even opened up yet yeah i understand yeah and so it's it's helpful to, to have a platform that in the whole concept behind you know volcanic is allowing people to be able to build their their sales platform without any sort of middleman yeah and no matter where you were in the, in the world you could still have the same access to it yeah that's great so you're doing ant hill you kind of see that this is a need in the market yeah. uh you get this idea You've been going for a little while. Yeah. You've been sending me a couple. You've sent me a few texts over the last maybe month or so. Oh, yeah. Uh, how has the validation process been going? How is it being received <clears throat> yeah. by the the brands? It's been pretty remarkable, actually. I mean, we there's the, the brands and the buyers. So just to kind of take a step back, this whole platform was built by some of our favorite people and, and most competent people that we've worked with on the anthill side for the last 10, 12 years. So I think we've got something like, I mean, we've got the, the former, a former buyer at Costco there that was there for 20 years. We had the former vice president of, of, uh, office Depot and, well and, done. and your recruiting and, efforts. That's yeah, fantastic. Top guy at Apple. We've got, we've got probably about 15 brand CEOs on the platform. I mean, on the, we've got the founder of, some really big companies that are that have been in investors, and really because it was built by buyers and brands, they've created a really cool platform. So, I mean, yeah, we just got back from one trade show, and it was kind of funny. They, that, and this is the persistence that I that I love from from some of our employees. There was a trade show that that uh, that we went to a couple days ago, and they said, "Hey, we're trying to create a competing platform. You guys are not allowed in here." Um, and I just said, hey, you know what? Clayton, who's one of one of our guys who kind of runs our trade show, Clayton, just go to the show either way, right? Just get into the trade show. Um, <laughs> the answer is no was, if you don't ask, right? <laughs> he he, go, he, he was telling us the story yesterday, and I, 
I can't, I mean, it's it kind of funny, but um, he ended up giving him a, a $20 bill to let him into the trade show, whoever it was. <laughs> they let him in. This must have been in Vegas, right? Yeah, no, no, it was kind of crazy. And we, you know, three days later, we walked out of there. We we had converted 176 brands. Wow! And truly, truly, Congrats. it was not a it was not a competing platform, which is what they were building. I mean, it has components that are competing, right? But we are, in my opinion, a different animal than what they were saying they were. Yeah, we're not a distributor. We're no, a two way communication not. platform. But these distributors, these, I mean, this company that that we're talking about. They just got it. They just got funded by Blackstone for a hundred million dollars to starting up in their distributor, and you've got these. That's big, validation, right there. Oh yeah, yeah you've got right, these right. other competitors the that are in other market. channels like Fair, who just uh, finished their seven billion dollar valuation raise, and yeah. all these other ones that are huge. But the problem is, is we're undercutting every single one of them because they're saying we're not going to put the brand and the buyer in communication with each other, and we're just going to take a percentage of the transaction. And what we're saying is opposite. We're going to put you guys in communication. Yeah. We learn how to monetize it in a different way. So the crazy part about it is they they can't change their business model or they destroy their huge valuations. Yeah. They can't say, "Oh, we, we're actually going to put people together because now but we're not taking a percentage of the transaction. We're just saying, "Hey, everyone get in here for free. We, we we have different ways to monetize that that are we feel like you're pretty creative and unique, but um, like going to trade shows to get rid of trade shows. <laughs> I think that's so that's how, funny. That's how we roll. I'm paying to go to a trade show to shut the trade show <laughs> down get, eventually. Yeah. Well, okay, in our defense, <laughs> I actually believe that we are a complementary product to a trade show, so it allows. Well, they don't know that. Yeah, they don't know that yet. <laughs> but but what it allows brands and buyers to do, but brands especially, is to be more strategic, right? Like where they only have a certain amount of budget. And people that lost so much money in the COVID disaster where everything was shut down, um, they only had, like, they lost how much? Maybe 30000 on one trade show. And every single trade show was shut down, and they had to have reserved their spots and paid their fees already long before the Not trade show started. Not refundable, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of them so, weren't. Yeah, so, like, in this way, we are helping them be more strategic with that budget that is very, I mean, some of them very minimal and some of them larger, but it's always an impact, right, on the brand. Yeah. They could always use that money somewhere. And if they can use it more effectively you know, by using our platform as well, then it's a compliment to, to, an, it helps trade shows be more effective too. It helps everybody. I think it just creates a more, a better ecosystem, a, for sure. a better ecosystem, perfectly said. I think that's what I'm advocating for right now. It's like, <laughs> we are not trying to beat you up trade shows. We're All the bulls rise with the tides, right? Exactly. It, it, it yeah, really, it true. really is true. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been, it's a very antiquated you know, industry. But I love so that you're taking, trying to bring it up. I love that you've taken your, your consumer or the user of your product yeah. and you've brought them on your team so you can understand from their perspective how to oh, build yeah. it right. Yeah. So oh, then yeah. it just naturally almost sells itself. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and we've had so much experience with our, our parent company. I don't know if it's parent company, but at least sister company, like, you know, just, just so many case studies, just watching these brands struggle, watching these, everything happens, you know, uh, in this industry, it's it's big and it's impactful. So oh, it's for sure. really okay, important. Okay, Jeremy and Jen. So I've got a question for you then. There. You guys yeah. ready for this? Yep. Sure. So you've gone on this journey, right? With these all these companies and you know learning this industry of buyers and everything. What's the craziest thing? <laughs> craziest story that's happened to you? 
There's quite a few. It's been a kind of weird ride, but besides paying twenty dollars yeah. to get yeah. seventy six <laughs> brands, I like that one. That's yeah, it's a, it's a low customer acquisition cost. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we there, there's been quite a few. I I remember I had worked for a a, a company after the cardboard toilet company. Um, I worked for another company that was a startup. In fact, the first three companies we worked with, we made. We went into debt further than we made money on all those companies. Even the ones that were, you know, grew from 100,000 in sales to 17 million in 18 months. We still go into debt. The opposite way that the entrepreneur journey is supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was yeah. honestly, it was, it was paying for experience, paying for information and knowledge that helped us kind of get it yeah, quite a bit quicker later on. Yep. But it was, I remember one time I was working for a company and a lot of our strategy was international distribution. And so this is the first time I went to Europe and they, you know, I, I was gung ho and it's, and, and it's stupid, but I said, yeah, just send me, I'll, you know, I'll go off and do this thing and, you know, give me a, a, you know, company card and I'll make it happen. So I booked, I think it was eight countries in, um, in 11 days and I was driving and I, I started off in, in Paris and went through Italy and up through Switzerland and Germany and Netherlands, Belgium, UK and stuff. And I think I, I went through like 25 cities and I had a ton of appointments at each one. And the moment that appointment ended, I had to drive off as quickly as I can to another city or country. And I remember being in right above Milan and all of a sudden, and they had all these toll booths one after another and it was just raining and pouring and everything. And I mean, I, I don't, I didn't understand a lot of the road signs still. It was just like one big paranoid journey. <laughs> you were looking down at your iPhone trying to drive and yeah, like, it, was it was just, it was a mess. Fast roads. Anyway, the card that, that they had had run out of funds. And so I was in between oh, no. toll booths with absolutely nothing from a company just starting up. They didn't have money. And, and I was like, I don't even know how to like get out of this next toll, let alone, <laughs> let alone pay for a place to sleep. Right. And so that was super gnarly. I mean, trying to like scramble to some foreign bank to try to, and, and I remember finally getting a hold of of one of my my uh, my business partners at the time, and I was texting him like, "Hey, can you can you help me with this or whatever?" And he was still asleep. Like it was like four in the morning his time or three in the morning, but I finally got a hold of him, and uh, I had to kind of wait around for them to you know, put more money on the car, but it was just, that's just, it felt like the first seven years of our marriage was like that. It was just like, <laughs> it was yeah, like, it was. what could we pull well, on to go pay for the next whatever? <laughs> well, one story that's coming to my mind is that like how stupid we were with the first company that you had worked for. Right. Cause they kept about six this weeks. Is this the toilet one? Yeah, this is the toilet one. <laughs> oh my so it all goes back to the toilet about company. About six weeks be real. after Jeremy starts, uh, with that company and we're, you know, everybody's desperate for a job. So we're happy that we have a job. Um, they promote him and oh, then this is quite the move. And then they say, Oh, could we just pay you a little bit in stock? You know, so that, so that we don't, you know, have so they to take, so they can 
And then that little bit became, oh, and the next month and the next month. And don't worry, we're getting funding any day now. So the, the stock yeah, is going to so be we, worth something. So we went on for a year, just like, so hey, we, we'll just give you more stock. We were like, and we, yeah, did, we had gonna, no idea that the stock make... was worthless. <laughs> so, and yeah, we were living off credit cards and getting more and more in oh, debt. No. And come to find out the guy had been embezzling the whole time. So this is the best part of the story. <laughs> the best part of the story is after like 10 months of being there, and having this stock, one of the one of the guys comes in, and everybody's you know they're they're all senior, they're all you know later part of their career, and I just kind of trusted. There's like six of them, anyway. So he comes in there, and one of them says to me, "Well, you know that X and X is his name, the founder. He was imbe- he, he was caught embezzling and or whatever for securities fraud. He was, he was found guilty before he started this company, and I just my heart just sank. Like, are you kidding me?" <laughs> Like how there's no no wonder why we haven't been able to raise money. Oh. Like it was just like and then, minor detail. Yeah, yeah minor. De- you yeah. could have told me that, that on day one before you asked me to yeah. take stock for for a payroll. Yeah, but, and that magical investor never appeared, and of course our stock was zero, and it just was. Hopefully, a, you got some stock of hard of toilets in your garage. Yeah, or something <laughs> there, though, right? yeah. I, I can. Yeah, you know, I can go through a lot of tsunamis <laughs> now, which is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> So that was a fun ride. That yeah. was a um, very important lesson. Do I'm not glad you can laugh about it now. I don't know if my wife would be that forgiving. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, wait a second, remember that time? Yeah, she was yeah. she was she was a trooper. We I mean we've we've had some other interesting ones. I back when we were with a, with a, a lip balm company, a shark tank company, we had had some really good success with Mark Cuban and, and Laura Grenier and we we ended up going off and um I mean, this talk about making a fool of yourself. I've done this a few times um, where we've been in business and we'd sit down and we were going to go meet with uh, at Michael Jackson's home, Paris, for Paris Jackson to kind of sign her brand. And we stopped off at uh, Larry King's home at the beginning. We were kind of chatting with them and and uh, and kind of talking about this potential business. So we wanted to run her brand and put it into big retail stores. And her, um, I remember her, what is it, what are they called? Like the, the, the family's trustee or whatever the uh, guy is. He had this, this product that he wanted to launch and it was a barbecue product and it was in the shape of a NASCAR. And he was like, and it almost kind of felt like he was saying like, Hey, if you can get this into retail stores, I'll hook you up and you can, run you know, run, run the, yeah, run the Jackson <laughs> family brand. And, I didn't have the heart to tell him, like, I was like, I don't know about this. You got nothing, dude. Yeah. But um, he was sitting in there up in the front front seat, and he just barely started telling me about it. I didn't know too much about the product at the beginning before I saw the, the concept art of it. But um, And he had his girlfriend with him sitting up in the front seat, and she had a really short skirt. <laughs> <laughs> and And I say to him, I say, um, I won't say the name, but I said, "Hey, you know your 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 grill. I think it's got legs." And he thought I said, "Your girl's got legs." <laughs> so it goes totally silent, and the guy's just like, "What did you say?" I'm like, "I was trying to." Get I was like, "Shoot!" Like your, there goes the parachute. It could go far. <laughs> yeah, like that. There's been. It's funny, kind of when you get into business, because I mean, obviously. There's a lot more successes than there are flops, but the flops kind of make you, you know, they, they kind of, they, they make it more fun and humorous long-term. 
there was this uh, the last story on this, but about some of these like humility things. But there was, I had this big, huge launch with Lowe's, and we had this big nationwide like and and a planogram launch, and you know we had this big hurricane launch, which was for their southeast stores and a bunch of others. And we were on our like it was like our fourth or fifth meeting with with Lowe's, and this time they decided you know we're going to bring in our three of our vice presidents into the meeting and we have four other buyers that we want to come to this meeting as well. So I was like, yeah, this is great or whatever. And, you know, we thought we were going to get a lot of commission off of it. It's going to be kind of a really big deal. So we're sitting around this boardroom and we had this wonderful pitch and the, the buyers just ate it up and it was so good. I was super stoked about it. Uh, they agreed to go nationwide and then they started talking about a specific part of of the launch, like we would actually power products within Lowe's corporate office. And I sat there and I said, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I said, yeah, we could be like, yeah, blah, 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 powered by the Home Depot. And then I remembered, oh my gosh, this is Home Depot, not Lowe's. I mean, we're in Lowe's, not Home Depot. And all the buyers just stop and they just look at me as if like I had just offended all of their <laughs> ancestors like for everybody. Yeah. It was the biggest swear word. And I just, I, and I actually said to him, I'm like, because we're like on the, the third story up, I'm like, I'm just going to go walk out that window and just call it a day. But it was, yeah, they all started but they, it became very, yeah, it became, it I think it fun. became those type of experiences, I think, you know, humanize you with the buyers. Um, later on, Lowe's actually called us to, they, they wanted me to be a, a senior buyer there. Um, but I, you know, Cool. I think if you some of those experiences where you could kind of turn them around, where they know like you you you're just a, you're just a dude, right? Just trying to build a business. You're a faithful Home Depot shop. I'm a faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I felt terrible. I watched too much probably, college. Yeah. yeah, college game day or something. That's yeah, true. You'd probably presented to Home Depot the week before or something. That's yeah, probably know, true. Probably but I love that you can laugh at yourself at that. <laughs> yeah, and they, I lo- think, and they probably love that too. Yeah, they're just they're just normal people. Yeah. I think is and, and that's kind of. The biggest thing I think brands do is they get way too into their head about like these buyers will go up and they'll meet with somebody from Macy's or somebody from wherever and they're they're just like all scared and whatever else. If you know your numbers and you know the competition and you know the Nielsen data and the sell through data and you know and you have a really good analytical play of why the product should actually sell, outside of that, I mean, just relax a little bit. I think that's good advice. I mean, you, you're saying specifically for brands, but I think that's good advice for entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, I Just agree. be confident in, in your numbers. Like what you said, you have to know the data, yeah. right? You have to know yeah. and be confident that that uh, what you have is good, but that confidence that you have from knowing those numbers will yeah. exude itself and make you yeah. way more successful. I mean, if, if not, you don't know the numbers and you're going there trying to be somebody that you're not, They'll see through it. They'll see through it. And yeah. now you're just a, a poser. That's right. But if you're competent, you can actually be your personality. I think that goes a long way with people. This question can go to both of you, but you both have been in this industry for a long time and have been involved in a lot of this, these discussions and have built multiple kind of successful businesses. What advice yeah. do you have for uh, an early stage entrepreneur, somebody at the beginning of their career that's just getting started? Like if you were to look back, and give yourself this advice 15 years ago, yeah, what would good you question. say to yourself? Can I start? Yeah, for uh, sure. I'm going to talk about your... So I, I hadn't 
we hadn't married at this point, but Jeremy graduated from UVU, a great school, um, school of business. So, but in his graduation, um, the man who was speaking, do you remember who it was? Um, on the graduation? Uh-huh. Like he, well, who was the guy that you met in the airport that, that Oh, yeah. That was, uh, he was over a big venture capital firm. So he just so. made it, maybe did a seminar or something. Yeah, it was an adventure. While you were a student. Yeah. Okay, so basically one of the things that he shared with those people in the seminar was that um, you have to take risks, you know, early on in your career. And you and because later on you have a family, it's harder. You know, you have to take more baby steps. If you're going to um, take a big risk, take it early, take it younger if you can. And um, one of the examples that I would say is, is how of how we did that is um, one of the companies early on in our career, right after we had in, like incurred all this debt, right, living off of all this pretend someday our ship was coming in, any day our ship was coming the in. The toilet stock, I'm going to call Yeah, it. yeah. No, <laughs> we, we incurred a lot of debt living on credit cards and but wait, things. Do you give credit? We paid it all back. Oh, yeah, we paid it back, and I'm very proud thing, of that. But, yeah. but um, we, you know, we could have at that point been scared and, like, yeah. not double down, like I mentioned earlier, on ourselves. And there was a point, I, f- I feel like there were a few points where we – didn't we we had that choice to be like well do we really believe in our dream our our, ourselves do we really think that we can and um one of the the risks that we took was going to work for a company that was paying us only thirty thousand dollars at the time so we were literally going into more debt because at the time we had two kids Mm -hmm. you know we couldn't survive off of thirty thousand that's like yeah. I mean, too, and, and paying loads. our debts off. Oh, so yeah. I think everybody around us thought that we were crazy. And I I don't think I ever felt like we were crazy. No. Do you feel like that? I think we, we had confidence think, that would break through if we well, just and, time. Well, and we saw it more as a, an opportunity. Like, here's this young company that does have financial backing, that is funded. And Jeremy's getting to uh, an opportunity to prove himself, but also take all the skills that he learned from the failures before and like take it with funding behind him now. Like one of one of the differences was that Jeremy never had worked for a company that was truly funded. So this was a new startup that was funded. It had very, very minimal sales, maybe a hundred thousand in sales. And those were just incoming, inbound sales. So he was able to take that job for thirty thousand, which was nothing and scary, but we we ran with it, like, and he built his career. It gave him a platform to build his career, that you know? just into the Shark Tank, yeah. It's to kind prove of what steps. he could do with funding behind him. Like, he, he got him into every everything and, and made them very successful. What was the company name again? Goal Zero. Goal Zero. Oh. Yeah, it, yeah. Was a, it was a Sorensen back company and cool. ended up selling out to Energy. Yep. And, and um, anyway, so that, that was an example of, like, one of the crossroads, I think, for us is, like, well, we are young. And we can take some more hits. So we're going to use this as an opportunity for education and also as a platform to show people who Jeremy truly is and what he can truly do. And um, anyways, I would just say believe in yourself and double down. But it's important that you do <laughs> keep making corrections. Roll with the punches. Yeah, like yeah. That. And take the punches. Like <laughs> Take them as an education, right? Take them gratefully um, because at some point they're going to help you. Um but yeah, that's, a, that's a good one. I, it hurts. It hurts to take the punches. It really yeah. does. 
I think for me on my side, and thanks for sharing that, Jen. Um, for me, I think I kind of like fumbled into this a little bit, but and maybe I don't give myself enough credit. I don't know if it was really fumbling, but it was when I was in college, I kind of had the idea that I was going to get testimonials and letters from everybody that meant anything to me. Like, so, I mean, I remember going around and I got testimonials from the, you know, the deans of the schools and the athletic department and all, you know, the, all those people. And it kind of turned out where I started doing that after grad school too, where, and through, through Oklahoma, it was just, if, if I could catch people right after that, I've worked with them and, and get a, you know, signed letter of recommendation when, you know, when they're most happy and when everything's most fresh, I could use that. And it ended up working quite well. And in fact, I think, you know, it's kind of, it's all those, um, all the expressions of people talking about like your morality and, and your honesty and stuff like that. I think that puts down a lot of walls for your future jobs, which is, I think, really important to do. We actually kept doing that through, I mean, I, I think on the Ant Hill site, we have like 80 testimonials uh, that, that, that we just have people lay out right when they're done, right? Um, if I could give any recommendation, it's not something that, it's just something I've done. It's not something I've, I kind of knew I was going to do going into it, but I would just track your your wins really closely another thing i used to always do which worked really well is every time i'd go to a corporate office i'd take a picture of me in the corporate office uh to prove you know these are the people that i've sold to and i noticed the industry never did that every time i went with somebody that was not not a thought but it was take pictures too of products on shelves oh yeah go into a store when you launch something on a shelf take a picture of it and cool it's something to show people of you know okay this is more than just words Jeremy, Jen, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the Midnight Founders podcast with us today. I appreciate it. What a cool journey and stories. And and I love that you're doing it together. Yeah, Yeah. still do it. it. It's great. Yeah, it's a interesting. I think we were talking about this before the show started, but it's it's kind of an interesting uh, way to play in the in in entrepreneurship. If you're going to be a wife, husband duo and co-founders or or co-owners of anything, right? Like it adds so many more layers. So uh, we're navigating that. I think pretty well. I think that's something yeah. I'm, I'm- Remember your kids' names he's, most he's, of the time. Yeah, yeah. most of the time. Every most other one. Time. Yeah, but that's definitely been a trick and still we're journeying through that. But I'm grateful that, you know, I have him. So he's a good partner. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate well your guys' time. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Yep. Yep. See you later. Good luck with everything in your future endeavors. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah, you Appreciate guys it. too. Thank you. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.